Down by the rose gardens, amongst the horseshit fertiliser, I learned that the terrorist, who had been obviously a male Christian fundamentalist, had now become the daughter of a Melbourne actress. The traitor appeared very pale and much younger than her thirty years. Dick Connolly got the photo credit, but his editor had photoshopped her, for in real life she would turn out to be a solid little thing whose legs were strong and sturdy, not at all like the waif in the telegraph. She was from Coburg in the north of Melbourne, a flat, forgotten industrial suburb, coincidentally once the site of Pentridge Prison. She came to her own arraignment in a black hoodie, slouching, presumably to hide the fact that our first homegrown terrorist had a beautiful face. Angel was her handle. Gabby was her name, and what I have learned is Meat World. She was charged as Gabrielle Ballieu, and I had known her parents long ago. Her mother was the actress Celine Ballieu. Her father, Sando Quinn, a Labour Member of Parliament. I returned to my own court depressed, not by the outcome of my case, which was preordained, but by the realisation that my life in journalism was being destroyed at the time I might have expected my moment in the sun. I had published several books, fifty features, a thousand columns, mainly concerned with the traumatic injury done to my country by our American allies in 1975. While my colleagues leapt to the conclusion that the hacker was concerned simply with freeing boat people from Australian custody, I took the same view as our American allies, that this was an attack on the United States. It was clear to me straight away that the events of 1975 had been a first act in this tragedy and that the angel worm was a retaliation. If Washington was right... This was the story I had spent my life preparing for. If the events of 1975 seem confusing or enigmatic to you, then that is exactly my point. They are all part of the Great Amnesia. More TC. In court, I listened as my publisher got a belting from the judge and I saw his face when he finally understood he could not even sell my book as remaindered. Pulp, he said, including that copy in your hand. Damages were awarded against me for $120,000. Was I insured or not insured? I did not know. The crowd outside the court was as happy as a hanging day. Fields! Fields! The international guy shouted. Look this way! Felix! That was Kev Dawson, a cautious little prick who made his living rewriting press releases. Look this way, Fields! What do you think about the verdict, Fields? What I thought was, our sole remaining left-wing journalist had been pissed on from a mighty height. And what was my crime? Repeating press releases. No, I had reported a rumour. In the world of grown-ups, a rumour is as much a fact as smoke. To omit the smoke is to fail to communicate the threat in the landscape. In the Supreme Court of New South Wales, this was defamation. 
What next, Felix? Rob a bank? Shoot myself? Certainly no one would give me the angel story, although I was better equipped, wired magazine take note, to write it than any of the clever children who would be hired to do the job. But I was, as the judge had been pleased to point out, no longer employable in your former trade. I had been a leader writer, a columnist, a so-called investigative reporter. I had inhabited the Canberra press gallery, where my rumours had a little power. I think Alan Ramsey may have even liked me. For a short period in the mid-seventies, I was host of Drive Time Radio on the ABC. I was an ageing breadwinner with a ridiculous mortgage. I had therefore been a screenwriter and a weekend novelist. I had written both history and political satire, thrillers, investigative crime, the screen adaptation.